The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our reading this morning is going to be from Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, verses 54 through 62. Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, verses 54 through 62. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter immediately remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thank you, TK. Before we get into this passage, um, just a reminder about Easter. Uh, Easter week, we're in Holy Week now. So we have several things going on over the course of this week in the life of our church. Uh, We have a newcomer dessert tonight. If you haven't signed up for that and you'd like to, we'd love to have you. Uh, You can go to the website and sign up for the newcomer dessert for Cool Springs. It's also uh, Easter week, Holy Week. There's going to be services at the Skerritt Bennett Center near Vanderbilt every day from noon to 1245 that the Music Row location is going to be hosting. Tim and I are going to do one of those days on on Wednesday. Uh, But if you want to, if you're in that area and you want to do something midweek or midday during that week, um, Monday through Friday, there's going to be services going on there. Also, our Good Friday service, as a reminder, is um, this coming Friday, obviously, from we have two services, one at 6 and one at 7.45, and they're going to be at Cornerstone Presbyterian Church. Uh, so our church is partnering with Cornerstone and with All Saints, so it'll be our three churches coming together, which I'm really excited about. Good Friday is my favorite, uh, one of my favorite services of the year for the anticipation um, that I feel uh, in that service. Uh, it's a dark service. It's a somber service. Um, 
And then Easter Sunday, uh, you've got an invitation in your bulletin. Please invite people. We want to have a culture of invitation here. Uh, part of pivoting the room 90 degrees was to create more seating. We have uh, at least 50 more chairs in the room uh, and room for more than that. So be thinking of people that you can invite uh, and use that uh, bulletin insert if you want as a, as a resource to hand off to other people. We'll have our service here at 930. Uh, and then right after the service, we'll have a... A reception out in the hallway and an Easter egg hunt sh- uh, shortly following that. Uh, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, bring your friends, tell your friends and neighbors. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's what we've going on. I want to pray before we get into this passage. This, this story of, of, of Peter's denial of Jesus is one of my, uh, I, have, I have an affection for this passage of scripture um, that runs really deep um, because the gospel is wrapped up in this story. Uh, in some beautiful ways, and in some ways that I think are counterintuitive for for a lot of, especially um, American people, Western people who who have grown up around uh, in a in a church culture or have a perception of what Christianity is. This this passage uh, helps us with that. So let me pray, Lord, as we get into this text of Peter denying you in your greatest hour of need, your best friend. Um, doing this and denying even knowing who you were, uh, Lord, would you help us to connect with the the things that we've done that we that we have trouble even believing could could come out of us, um, our failures, our duplicity, our denials, our our betrayals, uh, and give us the courage and the confidence through this text and what goes with it um, to trust you to be merciful and gracious to us, even as we are paradoxes. Uh, And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay. When I was in uh, eighth grade, I lived in a small town in Indiana, and my skateboard was my preferred mode of transportation. I had a Lance Mountain by Powell Peralta with independent trucks, slime ball wheels, and blue grip tape that I had cut into a pattern of my own making. Growing up in a small town, there weren't a lot of us who skateboarded, uh, but I was one of them, and I loved it, and it was my life, my skateboard, and my guitar, and in season, my girlfriend were kind of where my world orbited. Every year in this little town, we had a 4-H fair. And it's everything you think a 4-H fair would be. We had, uh, well, everybody in town went. Hot summer nights. There were tractor pulls. There were carnival rides. There were elephant ears and lemon shake-ups. There, were, there was a main stage where, uh, you know, bands would come and do shows. And, and, the, and the, the local DJ from the next town over would, would come and, 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 you know, have a presence there, and boys and girls would fall in love with each other on those warm Indiana summer nights under the bright stars there on the fairgrounds. And skateboarding and that 4-H fair were were just two two parts of my life that were just defining moments in my childhood, and I'm sure you have your your own versions of these things, things that you look at your own childhood and you say, man, that event, that thing that happened in our town, that festival, that that circle that I ran in, they they were defining for me. One, one day, uh, I was on my skateboard at the 4-H fair. It was a good day. 
Things were coming together. And I was in front of the main hall, and the main hall there was where they would have the bake sales and the cakewalks and all the indoor concerts and all that. It was there the air conditioning was. The elderly people would hang out in there and play bridge. And uh, there was this semicircular drive uh, that pulled up, and people would pull up to the front and let people out, and they'd walk into the building. And I'm standing there. I don't know why I'm there, but I'm there in the front on that cir- semicircular drive with my skateboard. And this car pulls around, and a guy in about, probably in his 60s gets out of the driver's side, and he walks around to the rear passenger side of the car, and he opens the door, and he starts to help his mother out of the car. She's probably 80, uh, in, her, in her late 80s, early 90s, a frail old woman. And as she sets foot down on the sidewalk, I lose control of my skateboard. And he goes shooting out from under me like a missile, and it strikes this woman in her ankle. And she goes down. And her son kind of catches her in slow motion, and I can still see it happening. I can still see it happening. That he's catching her, she's got this anguished look on her face, and he looks over at me in rage. And he says, you stupid punk kid. And I I grab my skateboard and I, I get out of there. I don't know if that was the last day that woman ever walked. I don't know. Might have been. I'll never know. What I do know is that I took her son's words to heart because my carelessness wounded his mother. Maybe even crippled his mother. And I was faced as a young teenage boy with the unassailable fact that I had it in me to injure elderly women. Before that moment, I... I did not think that was in me at all. I would never have suggested to anybody that I was capable of something like that. But now I had incontrovertible proof. And so I put the question to you, what have you done that you didn't know you were capable of before you did it? Because we all, have an incredible capacity for failure, for violence, for betrayal, for corruption. Today's passage is about a catastrophic collapse committed by a man who was so sure that he was incapable of any such thing. And here's where we personally connect with this story. What was true for Peter is true for each of us. If our goal is to make it through life without messing things up too badly anywhere, then we miss then we underestimate what we're capable of. 
we underestimate what we're capable of. Listen, for some of us, I'm, I'm trying the doorknob of a closet that you've locked, right? Saying, what's in there? Something that maybe you have worked hard to keep locked tight. Some kind of secret failure that has the potential to ruin you. Some kind of web of sin that you are just tangled up in. And you're so tangled up that you doubt that you could ever be free. Let's not mess around with the story of Peter's denial of Christ. When Jesus is on trial for his life and Peter is in the courtyard and they can see each other and Peter denies knowing him. Let's not just look at this as an interesting Bible story with some drama. Because this is about the worst thing he could have done in that moment. And what comes out of this has everything to do with you and me. If we're the kind of people who betray and deceive and injure. question is, if I'm capable of violence and betrayal and moral collapse, where can I find hope when I fail? Is there hope when I fail? And perhaps one of the best places we can turn for that hope is to this story, is to this place where Peter denies Jesus. Why? Because of what Jesus said to Peter both before the denial happened and what he said to Peter after the denial happened. And so those are kind of my two big ideas for this, for this message, is what led up to this? So what's the lead up? And then what's the aftermath? And the lead up is this, Jesus knows what's in you. He knows what's in me. And what's the aftermath? Is he redeems what's in you and he redeems what's in me. Okay, so let's, let's get into it. Just hours before this happened, hours before the skateboard shot out from under Peter's feet, Jesus told Peter, just, just hours earlier, Jesus told Peter this would happen. You will deny me. And do you know what Peter said? Peter said, all due respect, no, it won't. He said, here's what the quote is in Luke 22. He said, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. There was no question in Peter's mind that he was capable of that kind of a denial. It, he just wasn't. He wasn't. And it was absurd to even think that he would. In fact, moments after saying that, moments after telling Jesus, if I have to go to prison even to death, I will with you. Moments after that, in the Garden of Gethsemane, this line of torches snakes its way up the hill to where Jesus is. Judas is in front. He kisses Jesus on the cheek. The one I kiss is the one to arrest. Arrest him. They arrest Jesus. They gather around him. What does Peter do? He draws a sword and he cuts off the ear of one of the guards. I will go to prison with you and I will even die. Peter wanted to fight in Gethsemane. 
And now, Peter is in the courtyard where Jesus is standing trial. I want us to see this because we can turn Peter into a cartoon character who's just kind of one note and he happens to be in this place and somebody asks if he's with him and he just collapses like a house of cards. Listen, (laughs) this entire evening, the trajectory of this evening has only really shown Peter making good on his promise. I will go to prison with you if I have to. I will even die. Draws a sword. He brings the fight. Now he's in the courtyard. None of the other disciples are, but he is. And he's there. He is as close to Jesus as he could possibly be. And he had to have felt a tinge of vindication because he had shown himself ready to fight, ready to die. And now he'd followed Jesus into the belly of the beast. At great personal risk, he is making good on his oath. Maybe this would be a place where he would get another chance to defend his Lord. But then, a servant girl recognizes him. And she doesn't speak up right away, but eventually she says, this this man was with him. And that statement would have intrigued everybody because there was a lot of drama happening and everybody around would have been intrigued by this. Was he really with the prisoner? And suddenly Peter changes and he feels the weight of the gaze of everybody looking at him and he's wanting to crawl inside himself as every eye is beginning to search his face for a little bit of familiarity. He realizes he can use no sword here. All he could do was either answer or ignore the slave girl. And so it was that while Peter stood trial, or while Jesus stood trial, I'm sorry, while Jesus stood trial before the priest, Peter's trial before the priest's servants began. He's on trial too now. And he tries to play it off saying he doesn't know what she meant. That's one. And he moved from the fire to the entrance of the courtyard to get some distance. Somebody else recognized him. And again, Peter said he didn't didn't know the man. That's two. And by now, everybody's looking hard at Peter. And they're listening. And they're saying, you have an accent. You have an accent. It's a Galilean accent. You, you were with him. And it's not so much a question anymore as it's a statement. No, you, you're with him. And to this, Matthew's gospel tells us that Peter invokes a curse. Something like this. May God strike me dead if I'm lying. I don't know the man. It was the sound of the skateboard shooting out from under his feet. And then came the collision. All of a sudden, peeling through the early morning air, a rooster. A rooster crows. And Peter's mind is flooded with the memory 
of the words his Lord and his best friend spoke to him only hours earlier before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And that was three. Overcome, he wept bitterly because he thought of himself as somebody who was ready to stand up and fight. That was what was in him. But at the comments of a few strangers, this rugged fisherman, he buckles. And from this point on, he has to live with it. It's tempting to regard Peter as just a weak and foolish man. But if we're to understand this text, we should start from the place of seeing him as more loyal, brave, and invested in Christ than most of us have ever had the need or the opportunity to test. you got to remember, the only reason Peter was in the position in the first place to deny him was because he had the courage to follow Jesus to his trial. And so we owe him, I believe, the benefit of the doubt that he followed out of love and that he followed out of a commitment to keep his word to never abandon Jesus. I think his sword in the Garden of Gethsemane earns him at least this much from us. So why did Peter fail? Because he did, much to his own surprise, There are a couple things that jump off the page in the story. The first is that when Jesus warned his disciples that they would all fall away, Peter believed he was the exception to that rule. A friend of mine calls this the sin of exceptionalism. We do this with the blessing of God. We also do this with the discipline of God. That we believe, yeah, I know God is generally kind and merciful to people, but you don't know my situation. You don't know what it's like for me. Or, I know God is, uh, uh, you know, he disciplines his children and he withholds things, but you know, it's me, God, it's me. We're, you know, we're tight, right? It's the sin of exceptionalism, that what applies to other people doesn't apply to me because I'm exceptional. And so Peter believes this about himself. He believes, Jesus, what you're saying about the, the other 11 I know I'm in a different category. Which leads to kind of the other thing we see. It's not just that he thought he was exceptional. It's that he looked down on the other disciples. When he dismissed Jesus' prediction that they would all fall away, what he said was, and this is the Russ Ramsey translation, but it's pretty close. He said, even if all these other jokers fall away, I'm not going to. Part of his exceptionalism was he really did believe he was capable of more than they were. And it was completely plausible to him that they would fall away. That they would, he could see that. But not him. And this is the peril of conceit. His exceptional view of himself led him to disbelieve Jesus' warning and take a low view of his friends. And when you disbelieve warnings from Scripture and you have a low view of your friends you isolate yourself, and you're in a dangerous place. 
when we imagine ourselves to be stronger than God's word says we are, failure then becomes catastrophic to our hearts because what we've done is we've trusted in ourselves to show God that he should love us based on how we perform, and guess what? We failed to perform. Then what? The catastrophe hits. I want to say something strong. So receive this from me. I want to say something strong. When you view, when you view yourself as an exception to the universal need for Christ's life, death, and resurrection for sinners, you deny his saving work on your behalf. When you say, I don't need what he offers in the same way that others do, you're denying his saving work. Whenever you look at some sin and you say, I should have conquered this by now. I should have conquered this by now. And God's patience must be wearing thin. It must be hard for him to love me right now. Because he knows that I've had ample opportunity to get over this thing. And I haven't. That's another way of saying that his patience and his love hinge on your ability to perform. And he's just waiting for you to do that. Which is another way of denying that you actually need him to rescue you. When that rooster crowed, something undeniably true came from the deepest recesses of Peter's soul. It wasn't that something new happened. Something emerged that was there the whole time. He didn't believe it was there, but it did. Good news. Jesus knew it was there. Jesus knew it was there. Before the rooster crows, Peter, you will deny me three times. Jesus knew it was there. It was the reason he lived. It was the reason he died. It was the reason he rose again. It was because even when we do not believe that we are capable of such things, Jesus knows what's in us. He sees it plainly and clearly. So that's the lead up. Jesus knows what's in us. What's the aftermath of Peter's denial? Jesus redeems what's in us. A few hours earlier in the upper room, I know I'm going back a little bit, a few hours early in the upper room, Jesus looked at Peter and he said this to Peter. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded to have you. You know those sins you commit that you think, when I commit this sin, it's a bridge too far. There's no redemption after that. Satan demanded to have you. That he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And then Jesus said this to Peter. He said, When you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. The reason Peter didn't fall away was because Jesus interceded for him. I know what's coming. I know what you're about to do. After that, when you return again, 
strengthen your brothers. Peter didn't fall away because Jesus interceded for him. Christ had a purpose for his life. That Peter would strengthen the church and that he would become one of her primary architects. The reason Peter didn't fall away was because he was actively being kept by Christ. He was actively being kept by Christ. And that's the gospel. We do not keep Christ. Christ keeps us. And we see this when Jesus reinstated Peter after he rose. You remember that story? Peter says, I don't know what to do. I'm going to go fishing. As the other disciples say, we'll go with you. They're kind of adrift, no pun intended. They're a little bit lost, not sure what's happening. The risen Christ stands on the shore. And what is he doing? He's cooking them breakfast. Is there a better love language between men than one cooking another breakfast? And he's cooking them breakfast. And Peter recognizes because of something Jesus says to him. Cast your nets on the other side of the boat. And they start to pull the fish in and it's more than they could bear. And it's Peter, it's the same thing that happened when Jesus first called Peter to himself. Before they had really even known each other, they were fishing and not catching anything. And Jesus said, cast your net on the other side of the boat. That was the time early on when Peter pulled the net in and, and, he, and he fell down at, at Jesus' feet. And he said, I'm not even worthy to be in your presence. And Jesus said, I will make you a fisher of men. Now Peter here, he's denied. And he's fishing. And the risen Christ is standing on the shore and he says, cast your net on the other side of the boat. And they do and they pull it in and Peter, the light goes on and he realizes it's Jesus. And he jumps out of the boat and he swims and he falls at the feet of Jesus. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, do you love me? Here's, here's the thing about Simon Peter. He denied Jesus and he loved Jesus at the same time. He didn't stop loving Jesus when he denied him. He, he loved him. He just failed. He just sinned. He collapsed. He, he, he was afraid. And so that's what he did. And Jesus says, do you love me? And it's like that movie Goodwill Hunting when Robin Williams' character is talking to Matt Damon's character and he's saying, it's not your fault. And he says, I know it's not my fault. And he says, it's not your fault. And he says, I know it's not your fault. And he keeps saying it and he keeps saying it until Will Hunting breaks down in tears and weeps and lets go. Jesus is saying to Peter, do you love me? And Peter is saying, I, I love you. Do you love me? I love you. And eventually the third time he says, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know everything there is to know about me. You know that I love you. Because he does. And that's the paradox of being a disciple. We deny and we love. And what does Jesus say to Peter? Feed my sheep. What did he say to him when he first called him? I will make you a fisher of men. What does he say when he reinstates him? Be a fisher of men. In other words, when Peter denied Jesus, neither Jesus' love for Peter nor his call on Peter's life were lost in that denial. Why? Because Peter was being kept by Christ. And you and I have no hope unless the same is true for us. And guess what? The same is true 
for us. Let me prove it as I close. A Christian is a person who is kept by Christ. It rests on us to make sure, if, if it rests on us, to make sure that we don't hold, lose hold of Jesus, we are in trouble, but it doesn't and it never has and it never will. To God, we are not stupid punk kids. We are holy and dearly loved. We are kept. Can we hope that Jesus will keep us as he kept Peter? By his word, yes. Because Hebrews 7.25 says this about Jesus. He is able to save to the uttermost. Those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He interceded for Peter. He always lives to make intercession for us. If you're a believer in Christ, you are not an exception to this rule. He saves you to the uttermost. He lives to intercede for you. This is the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans tells us, and you shall be saved. Let's pray. Lord, if we had the time and the courage in this room, we could tell some stories about a need to be redeemed, about failures, about things we've done, things we've said, things we've left undone that reveal in us a duplicity of heart. Thank you for the story of Peter's denial. Thank you for the things that you told him beforehand that you knew he was capable of this before he did. And thank you for the things that you told him afterwards. That you had called him to be a fisher of men and that call did not fall away because of something he did. But that you kept him and you interceded for him. And you do that for us. And so Lord, we thank you for that. Thank you for the encouragement that we get from a passage like this that reminds us that you know what we're capable of and you know what's in us better than we do and you love us perfectly. As we prepare to come to this table, Lord, we ask that you would solidify that in us. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.